Look at uh, Romans chapter, chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 16. It says, For this reason it is by faith that we might be in accordance with grace, that it, that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him who, who, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without be, <clears throat> becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of, of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Heavenly Father, we just ask you this morning to be glorified as we study your word. And Father, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Help us to realize, Lord, the wonderful position you have given us in Christ. And we ask you to bless us with your word. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you go back in Romans and look at chapter 3, you see that Paul is teaching we are justified by faith. Abraham was justified by faith because he believed God. And if you go over to Romans uh, or to Genesis 15:6, I think you'll see that God spoke to to, uh, to Abraham and He said, "I'm going to make you a father. I'm going to make you, in fact, the father of many nations." And it says over there that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as faith. And then in, in chapter 3 of Romans, we, we under, come to understand that it is faith that justifies us. It is faith, uh, believing in God, that is the vehicle through which we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust and hope that you have um, come to that place in your life this morning where you've been justified by faith. I was a little eight-year-old boy when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that memory is the most precious memory I have. You don't know everything when you're an eight-year-old boy, but you know enough if, you, if you've come to understand that Jesus loves you, wants to save you, and you've got a sin problem. And that's just about as much as I knew. And He justified me by faith. He washed away my sin. He credited me with righteousness. He gave my sin over to Jesus Christ. And since that time, I've been saved. And since that time, I've been a sinner, but nevertheless, I've been saved. So it says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him is righteousness. It was placed in his account that he was righteous. And he was not a sinless man. He was not a perfect man. But nevertheless, God gave him credit for being righteous. And so that's where we are if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it is a huge, huge blessing, isn't it, to be forgiven of our sins. One of the things that I've observed in my life uh, I don't know that I have, uh, hopefully I have become less of a sinner, but I'm not even sure I've become less of a sinner. 
But the thing that I, I have noticed in life is that I hate sin. I hate my own sin more than, than I ever did. It seems I'm like Paul many times. I, I, I say um, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things that, that I want to do, I don't do a lot of the time. But nevertheless, uh, the Holy Spirit I can see in my own life is active. And I hate that sin. And it is a tremendous blessing to be forgiven of that sin. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I love that. I love what God has done in my own life to forgive my sin. Well, we saw in the first part of this chapter, if we were to go back and look, that Paul is teaching about some things that don't matter. Faith matters. But he is teaching about some things that don't matter. One of the things that doesn't matter is works. When I say don't matter, let me qualify that. Works don't matter when it comes to salvation. Not our works. Uh, I'm not trying to convince you you shouldn't be working for the Lord. Because you should. I believe God has uh, great things for us to do. In fact, it says He has good works that are foreordained for us. And I believe that's a personal thing. And that is not only just a personal thing, but it is a, a, a thing. God in eternity saw Rock Point Church. He saw it on this piece of property when He created this piece of property. And so there, there are works that are, that are ordained, but when it comes to salvation, works don't matter. And you know, that is probably the biggest lie that the devil has to sell today. That works matter. Because what happens, if, if you've shared your faith with anybody in this life, you know that just about the first thing they say, if you ask them, well now, if you were to die and you were to stand before God and you were to say, why should you let me into your heaven? Uh, and you ask that question of somebody who doesn't know the Lord, invariably, just most of the time, they will say, well, you know, I tried to live a good life. I tried to help people. And there is this sense that God has a um, majestic heavenly scale. It would be made out of gold, wouldn't it? He has this huge scale, and He's going to put the good of your life and the bad of your life on this scale. And, and if the good weighs more than the bad, then you're going to be able to go into heaven. And that is a lie from the pit, isn't it? That's what the devil would have us Believe that, that we have something we can give God that would be worthy of salvation. But that's not the case. So in the first part of this chapter 4, we see that, that, that works are not going to be effective when it comes to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also going to see in, in the first part of this chapter 4 that circumcision, which doesn't mean today to us what it did to those Jews of Paul's day, but circumcision doesn't get it. It's not a ritualistic thing. In those days, the uh, the Jews, that was sort of the entry into the Jewish nation, to the Jewish family. You weren't a Jew until you were circumcised. Uh, and and it, it had tremendous significance. And Paul is teaching those folks, that's not what it's about. Circumcision will not make the difference in your life. And, and then he goes on and he speaks about the law. And living up to the law uh, because they had the law and God had given them the law and that was important to them. And, and the, those uh, Jewish rabbis would teach 
live up to the law. And that's, that's the way you can, uh, can go to heaven. But it wasn't about that. And so Paul says it's, it's not in the law. And that's a, that's a good, good thing for us to remember, I think, as Christians, because maybe you fall into a trap that I fall into, and that is a performance trap. I fall into this thing a lot of times of trying, wanting to be what God wants me to be. Never able really to live up to what he wants to be. And I, I, I spend too much time thinking about doing, not enough time thinking about being, and not enough time thinking about the true position that I'm in. Uh, because I, I want to please God, and that's good. But I spend a whole lot of, emphasis, a whole lot of uh, energy in my life trying to perform, not thinking about the fact God sees me as righteousness. He has reckoned me as righteous. So I'm not trying to discourage you from being a good Christian. But I, I do think that, that sometimes we get over in that, uh, in that arena a little bit too far. So it is not a matter of law. But look at, <clears throat> look at verse 16. Paul says, For this reason it is by faith. And I believe he is pointing back to some of these things that we've just talked about. Pointing back to some of these earlier things. He is saying on account of or because of. And, and so the question would be, what is this thing, it? What is it referring to? What is this referring to? And I want to read just a couple of versions of this verse 16, maybe, that may help us. First of all, the uh, New American Standard says, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of of all of us. Then I read the uh, the message, and some of you are familiar with that version. I don't always like what the message says. I'm uh, not necessarily in agreement with the message. So I'm just going to skip the message, and I'm going to read uh, something called the Contemporary English Version. It says, Everything depends on having faith in God, so that God's promise is assured by His, His great kindness. This promise isn't only for Abraham's descendants who have the law. It is for all who are Abraham's descendants because they have faith, just as he did. Abraham is the ancestor of us all. And in, in the book of Romans, it teaches that it is not about um, being of the Jewish family. That's what they, those Jews thought it was about. But it is, it is about believing God, and when we believe God as Abraham did, then we become the spiritual descendants, so to speak, of Abraham. But listen now to the New International Version. It says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. And that would be us, because we have believed in the same God, trusted in God as Abraham has. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So we become those spiritual descendants of Abraham when we trust God in the way that, um, that Abraham did. I think there are some, uh, some things that Paul is, is teaching here. Because of his arguments, we know that faith matters. It matters what we believe. Uh, and we have to be careful with that, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But believing in Christ, trusting in God, not trusting in faith, 
But trusting in God matters. It is faith that sets loose the very grace of God. And grace is what? That unmerited favor of God. That free gift. For grace, you're saved through faith and not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Boast. Faith sets it loose, believing, but it is the grace of God that does the trick. And then I, in, in, in working on this, I wrote this. And you tell me if this is a true statement, because after I wrote it, sounded so good, you know. You ever, you ever do that? You ever... Well, that's good. And then I got to looking and I thought, that's not even true. So listen to this and tell me if it's true. I've already told you I don't think it is. It is faith that guarantees or ensures the promise of justification to all men, whether circumcised Jews or Gentiles. Now think about that a minute. It is faith that guarantees or ensures the promise of justification to all men, whether circumcised Jews or Gentiles. When I you know, first contemplated it, I thought, that sounds good. And, and, and you could sort of, you know, get there a little bit maybe. But I got to thinking about what is it that guarantees? It is not the faith that guarantees. It is God who guarantees. It is the Holy Spirit. Turn with me in your Bibles over Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Second Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. It is God who guarantees. Our faith is in God. It is God who seals us. It is God who protects us. It is God who will deliver us. And so faith is a is a wonderful vehicle that, that um, how shall we say, um, opens the door to, to God's grace, perhaps. I, mean, I don't want to get too caught up in the words, but, but it is God who seals us. Look at um, Ephesians 1.13, a little further over. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, there's the faith matter, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Isn't that that great? God has sealed us, and it it hearkens us over over to Romans, um, what is it, 39? No, it's not 39. Romans... 8, 39, 40, or something like that, 38, 39, where it says um, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that a fantastic verse? And uh, if you have um, stood at the graveside of a loved one, you'll see that one of those things that cannot separate us is death. And so we can have this huge confidence uh, at the loss of a loved one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ that, we are, that they are not separated from the Lord and will not be separated from them because we're in the Lord. So faith sets loose this wonderful grace, but it is God who guarantees. Uh, It is uh, faith that enables us to be called like Abraham, the the children of God and and those spiritual descendants uh, of Abraham. Um, 
this verse 16, I think, is sort of a cryptic way. You, you kind of have to wade through it, but a cryptic way uh, of God saying that, or Paul saying that God reckons the believer's faith as righteousness. So he sees us in that righteous state and he's delivered us. Um, and salvation then, of course, is in accordance with grace. If it were not for the sovereign grace of God, even faith wouldn't matter. Faith by itself wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't mean a whole lot if it were not for this grace of God that, that God has, at Christ's expense, has paid the price for our sin. But He has. Uh, and we can't live up to the law. We, uh, works will not do it. But through grace, the true power of salvation is, is revealed. If uh, the power were in our faith, then our faith would be a work of sort, wouldn't it? It would be a work's um, salvation. But that's not the case. The power is in God who provided the grace by which we can be saved. And so it's not, even in, uh, it's not even in the faith in a power sense. It is, it is in God. Now look at verse 17. Because verse 17 shows the basis of faith. And there has to be, if we're going to have faith, there has to be a powerful, real basis for our faith. It says, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Again, I looked at some, uh, some other versions, and I didn't like the message again. I, if you're a big message fan, um, well, okay, but I, I didn't really like what it said. I didn't think it was a, uh, uh, clearly interpreted, let's say, or added value. But contemporary English version says, The Scriptures say that Abraham would become the ancestor of many nations. This promise was made to Abraham because he had faith in God, who raises the dead to life and creates new things. And I praise God. That's what He's done in my life. He has raised the dead to life and He has created new things. And if you know Him, that's what He's done in your life. The New International Version says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God in whom He believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Faith has to have a solid foundation. It has to have an object of that faith that is worthy, that can be relied on. Um, there are many people, I think, today, if you turn on your television set and watch, who, who, who you would almost have the impression they're teaching that faith and faith is what matters. But faith and faith is not what matters. Faith in God, believing in God. We can't convince ourselves that something is true when it's not true, if it's not true, and have it matter. If you have um, <clears throat> taken EE, evangelism explosion, somewhere in your life to have some evangelism training, then you know the, um, the illustration of the chair, you know, and you take a chair up here and have somebody come up and, and you talk to them about the fact, well, that's a solid chair. I, you, you can trust that chair. And then you illustrate that by having them sit in the chair until they have sat in the chair. They haven't placed their faith in the chair. Well, if that chair has a leg that is sawn almost off, 
when they sit down in it, it won't matter whether they've placed their faith in that chair or not. They're going to, going to fall. Um, this week we had uh, someone come to the church. And I was sitting here in, in the resource room that I use for an office, and I saw them drive up in this rickety old car. Bless their hearts, they needed some, some gas money, and we managed to help them. But this was a terrible old car. Now, I could believe, and you could believe, they might believe that car will get them to California. But I'm telling you, I, I couldn't believe in the first place. But if, even if you get in an old car that, that won't run, and you have faith in that old car, it doesn't matter. It's probably going to break down on you. So there has to be a solid basis. Uh, I have faith in my wife. Why is that? Not because I have faith in faith, but because my wife is a faithful person. And I can believe in her and I can trust in her. And there's a solid basis. So there has to be something solid behind our faith. Uh, are there people today who believe very, very strongly what they believe? They've got faith. Man, aren't there? There are cults. There are other uh, religions that, 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 that are not uh, on track with God's Word. And they believe strongly. But it doesn't really matter, does it? There has to be a solid foundation. And I believe Paul is showing us the solid foundation right here. He says <clears throat> at the end of this verse, well, he says, As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. And he says what? In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, listen to these two things, who gives life to the dead and who calls into being that which does not exist. Have you, you know, as I looked at these things, think about how important that is. If those two phrases, those two characteristics of God were, were not in the Bible, or if they were not true, then we could, we could pretty well just trash the rest of them. Think about it. He says, who gives life to, to the dead. If God could not be described as giving life to the dead, then we would know that He did not give life to Jesus Christ. He did not raise Him from the dead. And we would also know that there's not going to be very good odds He's going to raise us from the dead. If He, if he, if he, did not, if he cannot give life. And then the second thing, God who calls into being that which does not exist. Look over at uh, 1 Corinthians 15.9, just for a minute. And that's uh, first. And that won't tell you anything because that's not a right passage. <clears throat> Let's see. Let me look one more time, but that's not it. Bear with me just a moment. Okay, let's try, uh, that would have been 19, I bet. Let's try 1 Corinthians beginning in verse 12 and reading through, uh, say, verse 20. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Well, it's said it right there. If God hadn't raised Christ from the dead, Paul says, we're wasting time. 
Moreover, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And it may be saying your version most miserable or something like that. And you know, that's that's so important. That is important to our own salvation, to our own faith, but it is also important uh, as we march through life. Just about eight eight weeks ago or so, I stood over the grave of my father. And I believed, and I believe that I will see him again because he will raise from the dead. And he is not only that, he is in heaven right now with the Lord Jesus Christ. But one day that old body, that old worn out 89-year-old body is going to be raised glorified. And so uh, this is, is just absolutely paramount uh, to our faith. God who gives life to the dead. We, we remember the story of Jesus calling forth Lazarus. Well, he's going to call forth us in the same way. So that's important. Now, what, what stronger foundation could there be for, for faith than a God who can actually do that? That is powerful. There, there's, in fact, that is the greatest enemy we have, isn't it? Death is the greatest enemy. And so if there is anyone we can believe in it is, and, and, and be confident, it is the one who can raise the dead. And so our, our faith is grounded in that. Well, then Paul makes reference to uh, the God who calls into being that which does not exist. And, of course, we think about creation, don't we? We think about God calling into existence everything that we know. That's a powerful God. That's a God who can do that is a God we can believe in. In in the context of, of this passage and this story, which harkens back to Genesis and, uh, and God reckoning Abraham as um, um, righteous because what he believed he, in that occasion is when he, he, God told him, you're, you're going to have a son. You're going to be a father. And he's telling this guy who's 75 years old, it doesn't happen until he's like 100 years old, but he's telling him, you're going to be a father. And, of course, his, his, um, his wife has no ability to, to have a child other than the supernatural thing. And it says that Abraham believed it. And it was reckoned to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. And for Abraham to believe him, have to be, he has to be believing that God is going to call into existence something that doesn't exist. So Paul, I believe, is thinking back uh, to that. He, I, I think there is in this passage, there's the, there, there are shades of our own salvation where God calls into existence something that doesn't exist, and that is my righteousness and your righteousness. Uh, the Bible tells us it is as filthy rags, and God is calling that into existence. Uh, he, is, he is declaring you and me righteousness. Um, things that don't 
exist, God calling into existence, made me think of, of John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so I, I went to, you know, that word draws. We know that the, the Father draws people. When I was eight years old, he drew me. And so I, I thought, well, you know what, that's a whole lot like being called. And so I started looking at some different versions to see if I could find anybody who used that word word uh, call in, in, in that uh, particular scripture. And, and I did not, but I still think it helps me think about calling things into existence. A God who is powerful enough to call this majestic universe of ours into existence. The universe we keep reaching and reaching and reaching out and cannot come to an end of it. He called it uh, into existence. And so those two things, this ability to give life to that which is dead and the ability to call into existence that which doesn't exist, say we have a powerful God. And this God who, who we know saved us, I know He saved me. I, I don't sometimes don't even trust Him to get me through the week. <laughs> I know you don't have that problem. But sometimes I, I'm amazed how little I trust God. Well, let's go on and look at uh, verse 18. It says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, we're talking about Abraham, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in the faith. He didn't waver. I waver <laughs> sometimes. Do you waver? I, 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 I'll just be honest with you. He didn't waver. It says he grew stronger. And as we believe God, don't we, we do grow stronger. It said, he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And yet he had no children whatsoever. He was uh, 75 years old when the promise was made. About 100 years old when the promise was fulfilled. So what reason did he have to believe? Only that there was a powerful God who said it. And sometimes in your life and sometimes in my life, there will only be one reason to believe. Things are going to be okay. And that is because you have a powerful God who said it. Because there will not be uh, anything in your life that says, hey, everything's going to work out okay. There will not be perhaps one thing. Sarah was uh, ancient. You know, she was just an, an old woman. And I, I, I found some interesting things about this thing of uh, giving birth. The Guinness Book of World Records uh, asking who is the, who, who, who is the oldest woman uh, to give birth and how old was she? And it says that Ruth Alice Kistler gave birth to a daughter at the age of 57. Wow. And then there was another lady, and this, unfortunately, was unconfirmed, so they really don't count it as a world record, but at the age of 72, gave birth. That's unauthenticated. So, But either one of those is far short of, uh, you know, the 99 years old that Sarah was. So this is, this is a, a, a pretty a big miracle. Okay, so while we were there, I thought, well, let's just see what else we got. Who knows how much the heaviest man in the world weighed? 
540? Well, actually, uh, 1,069 pounds. Now, I've gained and lost that much in my life, but I never weighed that much at one time. All right, uh, just quickly, uh, who was the tallest man? How tall was he? 8 foot 11 inches. Now, I, I really wanted to share this one with you because it only, only barely touches, but this matter of giving birth. What is the record number of births for one woman? You will not get this one, I can assure you. No, not at one time. <laughs> Over a lifetime. What is the record? No, <laughs> it's not 22. I'm not making this up. I don't know if it's true or not, but the Guinness Book of World Records, so I understand, <clears throat> says the record is 69. I know you're not buying that. Here's what it says. This was a, a, <laughs> a Russian peasant woman, eight sets of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets, 16 individual births, pregnant 35 times. I don't know if that's true or not, but I read it somewhere. Anyway, it's a pretty good record uh, to give birth at age 99, isn't it? I think we'd agree that that takes um, that take that puts it in the miracle category. But God's in the miracle business, you know. We we ought to really relish miracles. And and, and just as I'm talking about this, I was we have some friends in town, and I was thinking about and I was talking to them about Rock Point. I was talking about the miracles that God has done for this church to be here today. And and I have told our pastor this, and I'm sure he probably agrees, but one of the, the, the turning point miracles, I believe, was when Ron came out here and followed the man who owned this property around for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever, and the man speaking in tongues and praying, and, 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 and when he gets done, he says to Ron, well, how much property do you want to buy and which piece do you want? Now, what if that hadn't happened? Well, there are churches all over that, that want to want to have a prop, have property in the building. That's a miracle, and, and there are little miracles in life. We don't have to reach out and, and get the big ones, but we we, we have this problem uh, trusting God, don't we? Uh, I know you don't have the problem, but I have the problem. I found something that I thought was kind of interesting. It's called Jerry Hansen's Five Stages of Panic Regarding Faith. Jerry Hansen's Five Stages of Panic Regarding Faith. And since this spoke to me, you know, I, I thought I might share it with you. Stage one, I know God will take care of me. You ever been to stage one? You got a big problem? I know. It says, this is that brave moment at the beginning of the crisis when faith fills your heart and in full assurance you proclaim that God has the power to pull you out of the mess you're in. Stage one, I, I can handle stage one real well. Stage two, I think God will take care of you. Second stage kicks in after about a week. You're still smiling. You're still laughing, but not as much now. You still believe in the miracle, but God seems to be taking his sweet time getting around to it. I've been in stage two. Stage three, I hope, I hope God will take care of me. You know, there's a little, little bit of doubt creeping in. Now you've been in the crisis for a month or more. The smile is gone. The laughter dies on your lips. And the jokes seem forced deep in your heart. You're beginning to plan for the worst. Uh-oh, stage four. 
Can you relate? Ain't no way God's going to take care of me. Then in stage four, you hit the fourth stage not long after the third stage. At this point, doubt has won the battle and faith has been routed from the field. Anger and despair replace hope and joy. And I might add that, uh, you know, you sort of give up on God and you start making a plan yourself. Stage five, according to Jerry Hansen, I don't know how he did it, but God took care of me. You've been to stage five, too, him. Don't know how it came out. This is always the final steps. Somehow, some way, God took care of you. You got the job. You found the money. You made that phone call. You forgave the unforgivable. You battled back from the bottom. And now you're on the way to the top again. How did it happen? As you look back, you're not sure. You're sure only of one thing. God did it. You had nothing to do with it. And then this was added. In the really big crises of life, God almost always takes us all the way to stage four before He delivers us. So that when He delivers us, He alone gets the glory. I, I, I want to testify. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. We have to have faith in this God. When, when the circumstances say, life's not going to work, we have to remember the great God that we have faith in. Abraham didn't deny his circumstances. Look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. So it does no good to deny the fact that circumstances are great. Circumstances in our lives can be extremely grave. They can... They can be it such that you're only hoping against hope, if you're hoping at all. But the fact is, we still have this great God who is worthy. Verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in the faith. Now, I want you to think just for a minute about the benefits of faith. Uh, look over at the end of verse 20, and beginning in verse 21. It says, but Abraham grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. It says he grew strong in the faith. As we believe God, we grow stronger in the faith. As we, and, and I, could, I could just, in my years as a Christian, say that I have seen that work in my life. I have come to believe more in prayer. I could come more in my own life to trust God. As I have believed Him, uh, I have grown stronger in the faith. And as He has shown me things, as He has delivered me uh, from things, I, I can now believe He's going to deliver me again when, when, when there are things that I need to be delivered from. So it says also that He grew strong in the faith of giving glory to God. When we trust in God and believe in God, He loves it. He likes it. It gives Him glory. Um, as I look across here, uh, some of us still have children at home, but many of us maybe uh, have grown children. And we think, uh, we think about uh, our relationship with our own children speaks somewhat of, of this, uh, how we love for our children to believe in us, to trust in us. And that's a picture of, of God. He loves for us to believe in Him. And trust in Him. And, and, and I believe that as we do that, it gives Him glory. And so Abraham believed God, trusted in Him when there was no reason to trust. And what does it say, verse 22? Therefore it was also credited, credited to Him 
as righteousness. Now go on down and look at verses 23 through 25. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and raised because of our justification. For our sake also. Who is this our? It is us. It is those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who trust in God. This is written also for us. That God is going to do for us what He has done for Abraham. He is going to reckon us as righteous as we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says, this is written for you also. It is written for me also. So we have this fresh word, not an old stale word written to somebody who lived hundreds of years ago, but a fresh word for us that God is going to do for us what He has done for Abraham. Well, all right. I think that is, that, that, that's a powerful and that's a good word this morning. Uh, that we can go out of here with an absolutely rock-solid confidence in God, in a God who raises the dead, a God who can speak that which does not exist into existence. I believe we can walk out the door with joy in our hearts, with confidence that whatever happens to us this coming week, first of all, will be filtered through the sovereign will of God. He is, he is our Father in heaven. We can call Him Father. He looks down upon us. And we can be confident that whatever happens to us, God is going to take care of us in this life. And He is going to take us to a place called heaven. And listen, if that doesn't float your boat, if that doesn't light your wick, then you just need to get in the Word and just look at it some more until it does. Because He's a great and mighty God. And that's who He is, He loves you. If I could tell you one thing this morning as we leave to encourage you, is that God is in your corner. Man, He loves you. And I forget that sometimes because I think He's, he's got His scorecard up there. But that's not what He's doing. He is a great lover.